This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We have been looking uh, in December in this Advent season at some texts in the Gospel of John where Jesus very specifically states the reason which he came into this world. We noted that he came into the world, as he himself put it, to do his Father's will. In other words, to carry out that plan of redemption that the Father had given him to do. He came into this world, uh, as he said, for judgment, to divide between those who see spiritually and those who think they see but don't. He came into this world, as he said, to bring abundant life, to bring life and not just getting by, but abundant life in terms of relationship with God, both now and even more for the life to come. And then Christmas Eve, we saw that Jesus came, as he said, as light into this world, that we who believe in him would come out of darkness into light. Well, today, as we close out uh, the year of this last Sunday of 2010, we want to look at the last statement of that nature that Jesus makes here in the Gospel of John. Specifically, it's in verse 37, but in order to uh, kind of get a sense of the context, let's begin our reading in verse 33. This is John chapter 18, verse 33. Hear the word of God. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Let's pray. Our Father, we give thanks to you for your word. As we study it this morning, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the truth, ears to hear the truth. Lord, we recognize that comes only by your grace, only by your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus was interviewed by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. This was a significant interview uh, for the sake of the scriptures, for the sake of Jesus, not least of all because it serves to declare Jesus innocent 
prior to his execution. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, he records three times where Pilate says, I found in this man nothing worthy of death. This man is innocent. And it's one of those cases uh, where a person is saying more than he knows. Pilate is, in his own estimation, saying, well, there's nothing in Jesus that, that warrants crucifixion, that warrants the death penalty. But, of course, he was saying more than he knows. There was nothing in Jesus that warrants death at all. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus had not once sinned. And so he was not worthy of death, not just before a Roman governor, but before his father in heaven. So it's a case of Pilate saying what's true, but something that contains a whole lot more truth than he really knew. Now, the conversation centers around Jesus' identity as a king and this nature of his kingdom Uh, The Jews recognized that the best way to get Jesus executed was to present him as some sort of threat to Rome, as some sort of potential rival to Caesar, someone who might be prone to lead a revolt. And that's why you have this conversation about Jesus being a king and the nature of his kingdom, which is Jesus says the kingdom is not of this world. If it were a worldly kingdom, it makes sense. His disciples, his followers would be fighting to defend him, to protect him. And yet he's willingly handed himself over because his kingdom is of an entirely different nature than the kingdoms of this world. In fact, when Pilate says to him, so you are a king, Jesus acknowledges it, but recognizing Pilate's likelihood to misunderstand, Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. It's an expression that means something like, well, if you want to put it that way, then yes, I acknowledge I am a king. And so one last time in John's gospel, Jesus, in this occasion, makes a very clear, very direct statement why he was born. But more than that, as Jesus himself says it, why he came into this world. Uh, We've been talking about the fact that Jesus phrases it that way because he did not begin to exist when he was born or at his conception nine months earlier. He existed as the Son of God from all eternity. But certainly what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, was the beginning of his humanity, his human nature, his human body. But we recognize that Jesus doesn't begin at Bethlehem. He always existed. That's why he speaks in in these terms. This is why I came into the world, he says. Well, as we look at these statements that Jesus makes here, We want to look at three uh, identifications, three beings here. First of all, Jesus himself. Second, those who believe in him. And third, Pilate. Or to put it this way, we want to look, first of all, at the witness to truth. We want to look at those who hear the truth. And we want to look at the one who is a skeptic about the truth. So let's look, first of all, at the witness to the truth. In this case, Jesus himself. In uh, verse 37. Jesus says, for this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world. What was the purpose? To bear witness to the truth. Jesus has come to bear witness to the truth. Now, 
we find in John's Gospel, Jesus talks about this in a, a number of times in other places. This is not a unique statement for him in the Gospel of John. Uh, but he's talking about truth that he himself knows, that he himself has seen, things that he has heard. That's what he's talking about. But when Jesus says, I want to talk about truth and bear witness to the truth, he's not talking about truth in some sort of esoteric, abstract sense. Jesus says, I'm not here just to uh, do philosophizing with you, Pilate, but I'm here to bear witness to truth of a certain type. And it becomes very clear in the Gospel of John. He's not just talking about abstract truth. He's talking about very specific truth about God's grace towards sinners in him. It talks about being a king, and we see this here in verse 37. You say that I am a king. That is, in fact, true. He speaks of God's grace uh, in him as a savior. Uh, the whole Gospel of John speaks of that, that most famous verse of the Bible, perhaps, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal Life. So who he is as a king, who he is as a savior, you can really summarize when Jesus is talking about truth, and as that truth reflects who he is, John chapter 14, verse 6, just a few chapters before this, when Jesus was talking with his disciples, he says, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, again, Jesus is speaking of truth in a very specific sense. Some of you, uh, maybe not too many of you, may be familiar with Gerhardus Voss. Voss was a professor of biblical theology at Princeton Seminary back in its good old days when it was a bastion of Reformed orthodoxy uh, before it was reorganized in the 20s. And Voss comments on Jesus' statement when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says in there that truth there has the same sense of heavenly reality. The question was as to the way to heaven. How do we get to heaven? Where are you going, Jesus? How do we get there? Jesus answers Thomas by saying that he himself is the way. The two following concepts, concepts truth and the life, explain the first. Jesus is the way to heaven because in him the heavenly substance is present, and more specifically because the heavenly life is present. Therefore, in contact with him lies the solution of the promise raised by Thomas, his disciple. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when Jesus is speaking of truth here, he's bearing witness to what he himself has seen and heard. Those things that pertain to who he is as a king, as of his kingdom, as a savior of those who would put their trust in him. But it's not just Jesus who bears witness about this, about this truth. That was corroborated, it was supported by others. John the Baptist, who is mentioned very early on in John's Gospel, uh, John the Baptist as opposed to the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel that bears that name. Chapter 5, Jesus talks about this. Just listen to this. Different people, different sources of witness to who Jesus is. John the Baptist, uh, John 5.32 says, There is another who bears witness about me. I know that his testimony he bears about me is true. He sent to John, he is born witness to the truth. Jesus is speaking, he's talking about John's ministry. Not that the testimony I received is from man, but I say these things so you may be saved. He, that is John the Baptist, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But Jesus goes on in John 5, verse 36, not just John the Baptist, 
But Jesus' own works, his miracles, bear witness. He says, but the testimony I have is greater than that of John. As important as that was. He says, for the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. On more than one occasion, Jesus appeals to the miraculous works that he has done as evidence that he is who he claims to be. And that's what he says there. His Father, God the Father, is a supporting witness to him. Verse chapter 5, 37, 38, the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you've never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then later in chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So John the Baptist, the works that Jesus did, his Father in heaven, even you know, remember the transfiguration. Uh, Jesus' Father, God the Father, says, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Even the Scriptures, Jesus says in, in John 5.39, You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness to me. You see, if you read the Bible and don't come away seeing Jesus, you've missed something. Because the Scriptures bear witness to Jesus. They, they are focused on, they are centered around the person and work of Jesus. So Jesus says, I've come here as a witness to the truth. And not just abstract truth, but that truth as it is embodied in, as it is personified by Jesus himself. And as that witness is supported by others around Jesus. So that's the witness to the truth. Jesus says, this is why I'm born. Well, I was born, why I came into this world to bear witness to the truth. Now, who receives that truth? Who hears it? Well, that's what Jesus goes on to say. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Who hears the truth? Well, Jesus says here is the one who is of the truth. Now, that's kind of a strange expression, a strange way to put it. We might say uh, those who belong to the truth or those who possess the truth. Uh, that, that Greek construction, who are of the truth, kind of leaves itself open to be interpreted a little bit. But I think if we think of those who, who possess the truth or hold to the truth of Jesus or uh, uh, who understand it, who hear it, um, then we're not far off the mark. He says those who are of the truth. Now, again, this is one of those peculiar predestinarian inversions or or flip-flops that John seems to be fond of. Notice what Jesus says. He, He doesn't say, everyone who listens to my voice is of the truth. I mean, we would understand it. We'd say, sure, if you listen to Jesus, then you belong to the truth. You possess the truth. That's not what he says. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In other words, if there's something in you already, then you hear and listen. Very similar to what he says in John chapter 10, uh, where he's talking there to the Jewish leaders who are rejecting his witness to the truth about who he is. And notice what Jesus says in John chapter 26. Back up to John chapter 20, chapter 10, rather, verse 25. Jesus says, I told you, that's out of you the Christ, you the Messiah. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I told you, and you do not believe. The the works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. There's the works. But you do not believe. Listen to this. Get this. You do not believe because you are not part of my flock. Again, there's that inversion. We would expect them to say, you're not part of my flock because you won't believe. If you just believe, you'd be part of my flock. That's not at all what he said. 
He said to them, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep, those who are part of his flock, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And here again, we have that strange flip-flop from what we would expect. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So what does it mean to be of the truth? Well, we would say in the first place, that's a position a person can be only by the grace of God. Our, our hearts, by nature of our fallen condition, are hardened toward God, are, are hardened toward the truth of who Christ is. So unless the Father gives us a heart to receive the truth, to hear what Jesus is saying, we just won't. We'll reject it. But at the same time, how do you know? So how do I know? How do I know if God has enabled me to believe in Jesus or not? If he's made me one of those who are of the truth or not? Well, that's ultimately a question you can't answer directly. Unless God himself tells you. But there are ways that you can know. In one sense, that's not even our concern. That's God's concern. Our concern is to pay attention to what Jesus is saying and to learn as much as we can from it and to be obedient to it in the sense of believing in Jesus as he presents himself to be. So what does it mean? Well, the Bible does give us some, give, give to us some ways of, of figuring out if we're of the truth. Well, let's see what it is. What does it mean to be of the truth? It means to believe the truth of the gospel. To believe what Jesus is saying. Notice when Jesus says, whoever's of the truth listens to my voice. He doesn't just mean we give him a hearing. He doesn't just mean that our ears are perceiving sound. That we listen in that sense. Sometimes we do listen that way. We hear some noise, but not, not really paying attention. Husbands have developed this to, well, never mind. We won't go there. But we, we hear, but we're not listening. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus, when, when, when it says to listen, it means that you are taking it in and you are believing it. You're receiving it. So that's one way to know if we are of the truth. You hear what Jesus is saying and you say, you know, that makes sense. That describes who I am. I see how that describes who God is. And I see how that makes sense in, in bringing me into a relationship to God. I recognize I'm not right with God. My life's not right. This world's not right. And Jesus is presenting what is right, and that is what I need. So one way we know is that we believe the truth. We listen in that sense of receiving and clinging to what Jesus is saying. But also, we haven't just to to believe the truth of the gospel, but we've gone beyond that. We've experienced the truth of it in our lives. We've experienced the reality of a transformed life and a relationship with God that it points to. In John chapter 1, the first chapter of this gospel, that great opening prologue, we read this, verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but born of God. See, Jesus came to that which was his own, his own possession. Israel had been prepared for him through the Old Testament, and they didn't receive him as a group. Now, yes, there absolutely were Jews who believed in Jesus in his day and, and thereafter. Uh, make no mistake about it. But on a whole, there was a, there was a rejection. And yet John says whoever did believe in him, whether Jew or Gentile later, uh, 
God gave the right to become children of God. And that faith came about because of a work of God. So having experienced, not just believed it, but having experienced seeing changes in our lives, a recognition that I'm a a son or a daughter of God, an assurance of that relationship, but then also living out the truth of it. How do you know if you're of the truth? Well, you've received it, you believe in it, but you also see how it has established with you, in you, a relationship with God, but you also see how it's changing your life to live out the truth of the gospel. Now, 1 John, written by the same same author, the Apostle John, one of his letters uh, toward the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 20. Here's what, here's what John says. How do we know if we're of the truth? He says, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know we are of the truth. Reassure our, there's that expression. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So what he's talking about here is people who love, not just talking about it, but do. That love is expressed. Now we could look at that in other ways. And John does, even in First John. Uh, people who are of the truth are people who, are, who want to obey God's word. They're people who want to love one another and love those who are in need and intangible and real and practical, maybe sometimes even sacrificial ways, because we have a Savior who loved us in a real and tangible and absolutely sacrificial way. In other words, it changes you. It, it causes you to live differently than you lived before. How do you know if you are of the truth? You believe what Jesus says. You recognize that in believing in him, you have a relationship with God the Father that has been reestablished, broken by your sin, but now reestablished in Christ. And you see that Christ in you is making a difference in the way you live, things that you can point to. Are you perfect? No. But when you mess up, you go to God in Christ and ask his forgiveness, ask forgiveness from people you may have hurt or sinned against and desire to live in obedience to Christ. So you see that. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice and it manifests itself in those ways. So we've seen the witness to the truth, Jesus. We've seen those who receive the truth, those who are of the truth, who listen to Jesus. But then finally, we have the skeptic here. Pilate, verse 38, Pilate responds to Jesus, what is truth? Now, it's hard reading that text. When I read it earlier, it's hard to know how to read that. Because we don't really know what Pilate meant by that, and therefore what tone of voice he would have had when he said that. There are a number of things that he, he might have meant by it. When, when Pilate said that, what, did he say it humorously? Was he just trying to be funny? In fact, Francis Bacon, the uh, 16th, 17th, 17th century philosopher, scientist uh, of England, in his essay of truth, wrote, What is truth? said jesting Pilate, and would not stay for an answer. That Pilate was just being funny. He was being humorous. What is truth? You know, what's truth at a time like this? <clears throat> Another possibility is that Pilate was being more serious and, in fact, was said that somewhat wistfully. What is truth? As, as if we could know. What is truth? Some have suggested that he said it rather scornfully. What is truth? 
You know, it's time, it's time to deal with those kinds of abstractions, deal with that kind of heavy stuff. And we've got things to do, to do here. What, what's truth at a time like this? One of those or possibly another, it's really hard to say except what, uh, exactly what Pilate meant by it. I am inclined, just based on the context and knowing the kind of man historically that Pilate was, a very uh, self-promoting, uh, self-serving, often malicious man, <clears throat> that he was just being scornful. He was being skeptical when he said it. Don't know it for sure, but that's kind of the sense you get from the passage and from just knowing who Pilate is. But there are many today who would repeat what Pilate says, the words of Jesus. What is truth? Right? And for some of the same reasons. They may be too preoccupied with other, uh, more worldly, more practical matters. Well, leave questions about truth to the philosophers. What, what's truth? It's also possible someone might say that today uh, in a skeptical tone. What is truth? Who can know what is true? What's true for you may not be true for me. What's truth? It's sort of skeptical that there is any such thing as real, overriding, absolute, true for everybody truth. And there are those who might say it today in a kind of a sense of despair. What is truth? As if they've looked hard for a long time and have come up empty every time and finally have pretty much given up that there is such a thing as that which is true. And yet Jesus said, I've come to bear witness to the truth. There is truth because there is God. If there is no God, then no, there is no truth. There is only personal preference. If there is no God, there is no truth. There is only personal preference. But God is there. So truth is there. God is the arbiter. Indeed, he is the definition of what is true. He is the referee. He is the judge. He is the definer of truth. And I want to, I want to be careful that I'm being very clear here. I'm not talking about just religious truth. Many of you are familiar with the works of Francis Schaeffer, have read Francis Schaeffer. And you'll, you may be familiar with Francis Schaeffer's expression, true truth. And it's not that Schaefer was stuttering or just being redundant. He meant something very specific by that. Because in a world where truth, the word truth, the idea of truth, has been so stretched and, and made relative to where my truth is not your truth, Schaefer speaks of true truth. In other words, that truth which is true at all times, at all places, for all peoples, because it is God's truth. Because it is true. He was writing against those who would look at the Bible as sort of religious truth, as sort of making a leap into sort of mythology. It's true in a religious sense. Nonsense. Rubbish. Paul said if Christ is not raised in space and time history bodily from the grave, then our faith is in vain, our preaching is in vain, and let's go find something else to do. Let's not just sit around and play mind games with religious truth. Either Jesus came out of the tomb bodily or he did not. If he did, then this message is valid. It is compelling. It is true. It is life changing. If he didn't, then we're wasting our time. Let's not play games. See, that's what Schaefer meant by true truth. That's what Jesus says when I came to bear witness to the truth. 
He came to speak about that which ultimately affects the lives of every human being and is true for every human being. We could summarize it the way Paul does in Philippians 2, that the day is coming when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is king to the glory of God the Father. Many of us bow willingly, others may bow begrudgingly, but every knee will bow before Jesus acknowledge that he is king. That will happen in real history. You see, that's the truth Jesus is talking about here. That's what Schaefer meant by true truth. You see, whatever Pilate's tone of voice was when he asked what is truth, ultimately he really wasn't even looking for an answer. He was just sort of dismissing the whole situation. You don't want to do that. We need to ask what is truth with a desire for an answer. Jesus said here, for this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. The truth of a Savior who loved us, who died for us. Truth that is the most important, the most consequential, the most life-transforming truth of all. And so may the Lord in His grace, as we close out 2010, may the Lord in His grace grant that each one of us in here might be those who are of the truth, that we would listen to Jesus' voice be saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his coming into this world. And thank you for these reasons we've looked at in this last month for why he came. Father, we recognize that Jesus himself is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. But also, Lord, that the way is open to the Father through him for all who will believe for all who will listen to his voice. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.